they're very excited. I didn't know they loved England so much in Brighton. That's interesting. But uh, I'll address that in a second. You saw the growth track video. Uh, if you are newer to Fieldstone, I want you to know that is the best place for you to engage. That's your first next step. So after our second service today, I know you're probably like, eh, so I got to come back. Well, potentially. Otherwise, uh, either today or on October 28 is our next one. Uh, but Growth Track 101 is our environment where we answer your questions. We tell you who we are and why we do what we do and what we believe and all those different things. Best place to get some of those frequently asked questions answered uh, all in one spot. So that happens after the second service, right up here in the front, about a half hour of your time, and we'll take care of your kids for that extra time. We've got some refreshments for you, uh, but that's your first next step if you're checking us out. And um, uh, Second thing I want to tell you about is uh, a family serve day. That's going to be this Saturday. There are info cards back at the info center table, but this is a little different. This isn't one of those, hey, we've organized everything for you. Come to this one place at this one time. What we're asking you to do is as families, as couples, potentially even as small groups or as groups of friends, get together, plan something. Maybe that's serving at a place or coming up with something creative, making uh, thank you cards for local policemen or fire department, buying somebody's groceries, buying somebody's meal, something like that to do as a family to really start engaging in, in the community and, and sharing the love of Jesus in that way. So that's this Saturday morning. Hopefully you'll, uh, you'll do that with us. Um, and then one other thing I want to throw out just real quickly. Uh, we'd love you to be praying with us. Um, there's a couple big things coming down the pipe for Fieldstone Church. Obviously, we, we started the two-service thing a few weeks ago. Um, but a couple things that are going to start happening here in the next few months, uh, within the next year. One is... We are taking steps forward on purchasing this building and the property that goes with it. Um, and so we're, we're kind of walking through, okay, what does that look like as far as paying with cash versus financing or some combination of the two? Um, when do we do that? How do we do that? Um, and so we're just exploring that and taking steps. So if you would pray with us on that, uh, just for wisdom and direction and, of course, God's blessing uh, through that process, we'd really appreciate it. Um, if you have questions, I'm always more than happy to talk about it with you. Second thing is we're taking steps towards hiring a second pastor, an associate pastor that can uh, partner, partner with me and engage in some of the ministries around here as those expand and as more people come. We want to make sure that we are being good stewards of what God is bringing us here. So we're taking steps in that direction as well. So if you would pray with us on that, uh, we'd really appreciate it. Just kind of keep that in your, in your mind uh, going forward over these next few months. Just some exciting things that are happening and and uh, excited to share that with you. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into uh, the talk this morning. God, thank you for everything that you're doing here, and uh, whether it's uh, people that are coming and engaging, people that are being changed by your word here, God, families that are being impacted, uh, God, the ways that we're able to uh, invest in the community and, and even around the world uh, already, uh, we're, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. And God, as we engage in discussions about this building, engage in discussions about future staff, um, God, uh, engage in just future ministry and serving opportunities, we pray that you would continue to inhabit that, uh, be in the details, give us wisdom, and may it just be all about you, and we'll celebrate you when all these things go down. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you're just joining us, we've been in a series called Big Church, and we'll wrap that up today. Um, and where we've been is we've kind of been in the book of Acts quite a bit, talking about how not necessarily us as a big church, but that the church is a big deal. And the church really was not a word that's in the original text of Scripture. It was a word, ecclesia, and that didn't mean building. It didn't mean a place of worship. It didn't mean a leadership structure. It didn't mean a new religion. It meant a movement. 
a gathering of God's people. And so Jesus started this 2,000 years ago, and he said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my gathering of people. And it's going to be around a very simple mission and a very simple message. It's around the fact that Jesus is the risen Christ, the son of the living God, and we're supposed to take that message to the ends of the earth. And that started happening immediately in that first century with guys like Paul, who went from being this persecutor and murderer of Christians to this guy who's this great missionary, and it spread and it spread. And even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of trials, as people were scattered, they took the gospel with them. And this new thing, this new movement, this new truth went worldwide and became a very, very big deal, okay? Um, And so today we talk a little bit about the application of that in our personal lives. And you saw the video of the soccer celebrations there. That was from this past summer of England defeating Columbia. I have on my Columbia soccer jersey. Um, We had the privilege of, uh, Kathy and I were in Columbia in 2014 during the 2014 World Cup. Now the World Cup was not hosted there, but to be in a country that loved soccer, football, whatever, Um, To be in a country that was obsessed with it and was doing very well and was absolutely bonkers for the World Cup was one of the greatest sports experiences I've ever had. Was never in a stadium. Uh, Like I said, we weren't in the country where the World Cup was being hosted. But we were in Bogota. The city was absolutely out of their minds for soccer. Okay, just crazy. Everything would shut down. Everybody's having a good time celebrating this soccer team. Um, Now, I got to be honest. We hate soccer. All right, we, we are not soccer fans. We hate the flopping. We hate the pace of play. We hate that it seems like the world-class players can't even kick it with their left foot. And this is like, we'll catch soccer every once in a while. Like, oh, this is so stupid. And so unless you yell penalty kicks, I don't want anything to do with it. You get the penalty kicks, and there's, there's the extra tension, and there's that finality to it. I'll watch that. But other than that, I'm, I'm just not into soccer. But this city was so crazy, you just couldn't help but become a part of it, where there was one day where the, their, their team was playing in the early afternoon. And so we left for a work project in the morning. And because the city is so large and because traffic is so ridiculous, it took us two and a half hours to get from one side of the city to the other and get to our work project for that day. So then we came home in the afternoon, and the game had just started. And that two-and-a-half-hour drive to our work project was a half-hour coming back. I'm telling you, the streets were empty. There was not an animal on the streets in the midst of this game. It was the most amazing thing. And so this city was crazy. And so we went from being non-soccer fans, people who hate soccer, to being all in. It was like, yeah, vamos, Colombia. I'm getting a jersey. This is my team. We're all about this. Yeah, World Cup 2014. It was crazy. Because we were a part of it, it made all the difference for us. And it seems like when you're privileged to be a part of something special, something that feels alive, whether it's a moment or a place or a group of people, you just can't help but be impacted by it in tangible ways, right? Like I bought a soccer jersey. I I don't even want this jersey. I was just so excited to be a part of the World Cup experience. So here in the States, I avoid soccer like the plague until you yell penalty kicks. But in Colombia, I was literally hanging out of a bus window at stoplights trying to buy cheap knockoff soccer jerseys for my kids. Everything was different. Now in contrast to that Colombia experience, there are times when you come across a situation, a place, a movement, a, a moment where Everyone seems to be impacted by it in a very tangible way. They're made alive by what's happening. And the saddest thing in the world is in those moments when you see people who are in it 
and they're experiencing it, and they're living that moment with you, but seeming they're, seemingly they're completely unfazed by it. No impact is being had. They're completely missing out on the power of the moment. I, I remember uh, we would see this oftentimes um, in student ministries doing, uh, we would take kids to Cedar Point every year, a really popular youth group trip, and we go to Cedar Point, and you just, it's, it's fun to see the kids for the first time, see those rides on the horizon. They realize, oh man, what have I gotten myself into? These young sixth grade kids, and it's their first time away from home, and we're going to drop them a thousand feet, you know? And, um, but you get to the end of the day, and you start talking to the kids, hey, what was your favorite ride? What was your favorite part of the day? And, oh, I like the Magnum, I like the Raptor, I like the Millennium Fours, all their favorite things. And you get to some kids, and they're like, what was your favorite ride? I don't know, I was in the arcade all day. I'm like, the arcade. I didn't even know Cedar Point had an arcade. How'd you go to the arcade? Your parents spent $60 for you to have a ticket and buy food, and you spent the whole day spending more money in the arcade, and now you're coming up to ask me for dinner money because you spent all your arcade money? Like, how, how, why are you in the arcade? Look at these, look at what you could have done all day, and you spent the day in the arcade. What's the matter with you? Or we'd go on these winter retreats and spend a weekend away, and we'd have all kinds of fun playing broom ball and going on a sledding hill and just powerful sessions and and talks, and, and worship, and kids are excited, and you get to the end of the weekend, and some kids are crying because they've just been impacted, and they've met new friends, and taken some relationships deeper, and discovered God in ways they never uh, thought possible, and then you talk to some kids, and like, nah, I, I spent a lot of my time in the cabin. I, I brought some video games. I know I wasn't supposed to, but I was playing on my, playing on my Kindle in the cabin. I'm like, in the playing on the Kindle in your cabin, do you see what happened around you? And so you have these kids who spent all this money and spent all this time away from home and away from school stuff, and they get away, and there's kids meeting Jesus, their kids recommitting their lives, promising to come home and tell their friends about Jesus, and they can't wait to tell their parents about how they've been changed and all this impact and the music and the challenges and all these things. And you have kids that were there in the same place at the same time, and they experienced absolutely nothing. No impact, no change, nothing got to them. And you're like, how is this even possible? You missed it, this powerful place, this powerful opportunity, and you completely missed it. That happens at church too, doesn't it? Here's this big, amazing, impacting, life-changing thing, this ecclesia, this movement, this gathering of God's people. People spend their lives interacting with this thing. And yet it seems to have little or no impact on their lives at all. And when something, when someone, when some place, when some moment has truly made a difference in someone's life, you can tell. There's evidence of change. There's evidence of impact. And again, the church is no different. And so knowing what that difference looks like is a huge key in experiencing that difference and making sure that we are experiencing what we're supposed to experience. Because knowing what it's supposed to look like helps us um, evaluate ourselves based on a certain standard, right? And it helps us if we've got a spouse or if we've got kids or we have a group of friends that we do life with. To know what that experience is supposed to do to us helps us evaluate if it's actually doing it, if we're being impacted. See, the church, as we've been talking about all these weeks, the church is a really big deal. And our interaction with it should make a big difference in our lives in a very tangible way. And so the question this morning is, what does that look like? What does that big difference look like? What does it look like if we've been truly been impacted and experienced Jesus and his church? So today, um, we're going to jump out of Acts into the book of Galatians. And this is a spot where Paul, uh, his sweet spot was really planting churches, but then teaching these new believers how to live based on what they've experienced. 
based on the fact that you believe in this Jesus, based on the fact that you understand and accept this simple truth of the gospel, here's what it should look like if you've truly experienced that. So we'll go to the book of Galatians. This book is so good, so good. If, if you're looking for something to read, I know I say that about every book that we, that we look at, but so good. So, so Paul's like, hey, as Christ followers, you've entered into this new family. You're into this new thing. It's not based on rules. It's not based on religion. It's based on the saving work of Jesus. But because it's a new movement, because it's a new thing for you, there's a new way of living based on what you've experienced in joining this gathering of people. So um, Galatians chapter 5, you can check it out in your Bible. We'll put it on the screens for you as well. Um, And so we're going to go Galatians 5.16, and Paul says this. So, So he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So he says, when you believe, you, uh, and he spent some time establishing this earlier in the book, but uh, when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. God actually takes up residence inside of you. And, that, and yet, even when that happens, there remains this battle between your spirit side, who, your new self, your new heart, your new allegiance, your new obedience, and your flesh side, who you were before, who you are naturally when left to your own devices. And there's this battle here. So the flesh is me. It's, it's things, I want things for my benefit based on my mood and my needs and my cravings. Um, it's the you, it's your brain, it's your life before experiencing Christ. That's your fleshly side. That's, that's who I am on my own. And then there's the spirit side. That's, that's under the influence of God. It, you're doing things for him, for his glory, based on his will. It's others-centered. It's, it's based on others' needs. It's Christ in you. That's your spirit side. It's, it's him changing you and transforming you and leading you. And so you've got this fleshly side that's you left to yourself, and you've got this spirit side that's you under the influence of Christ in your life dwelling inside of you, transforming you from the inside out. And so Paul says, because you've got this spirit side and because you've got this flesh side, you can't just do whatever you want because you've got to make sure you're hearing the right voice. Right? You just can't go willy-nilly and, and make every decision on the fly because you need to make sure that you are living under the influence of the spirit in your life and not the flesh that used to own you. And so Paul continues on. He's basically like, all right, if you're not sure what your flesh side looks like, let me remind you who you are if you're left to yourself. Okay, so he continues on in verse 19. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And these are, are going to be obvious. Some of them are going to be extreme, but they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, Um, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he says, who you were before the Spirit is pretty obvious, right? Those who haven't found Jesus, maybe they're not taking part in all of those things. Maybe they're not going to all of those extremes. But at the same time, at, at our basic level, we're all pretty much acting this way. And the summary is, we're a mess, Apart from Christ, when left to ourselves, when left to our flesh, we are a mess. Whatever that looks like practically for you, whether your life fits or used to fit this list or not, we're a mess before Christ. And Paul says the biggest deal is is in danger of not experiencing the kingdom of God. So this isn't to say 
that your, your faith is based on works, right? It's not based on the law. We, we talked about that a little bit last week where people tried to add things to the gospel. That's not what this is about. Um, but basically, if, if you're living in this way, the fleshly way, it's a pretty good sign that you aren't being ruled by the Spirit and maybe cast some doubt as to whether you truly know Christ at all. And so salvation is absolutely by faith alone. But if you believe these choices, these fleshly choices, at worst should be more of an exception than the rule in your life. So Paul says, listen, this is pretty obvious stuff. If you're being ruled by the Spirit, you're going to live one way. If you're going to be ruled by the flesh, this is kind of what you look like. This is the mess that your life is like. But if you are being ruled by the Spirit, here's what that looks like. We'll continue on verse 22 of that chapter. For the fruit of the Spirit, the things that come out of your life, the things that your life looks like if you're being ruled by the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, Patience. NIV says forbearance. Nobody says forbearance. Patience. (laughs) Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So this is supposed to be who we are as a result of an encounter with Jesus Christ. If we've accepted that simple truth of who he is and what he accomplished for us, if we believe that he is God and he came to die for us, if we've accepted that truth, then that's how we should then live. We've received his spirit and we've become a part of his movement of believers. This is just the same thing that Paul experienced, the guy who's writing this. This is a guy who thought he was doing the right thing, thought he was doing what God wanted, but in in fact, he was doing the exact opposite. He was um, persecuting Christians. And Jesus said, you're not just persecuting Christians, you're persecuting me. You are off. You are way, way off. And because of his encounter with Christ, he became a brand new creation, a new person, changed from the inside out. I said, this is who I used to be. This is who I am now because of that experience with, with, with Christ. And so what a huge difference that is supposed to make in us. Keyword, supposed to. Supposed to be so other-centered so loving, so joyful, so peaceful, and patient, and kind, and good, and faithful, and gentle, and self-controlled. And some of you guys are like, I'm a man. I ain't gentle. I got strong, rough man hands, and I wear flannel, and, and I'm tough. And I say, you know, sorry, manly wasn't on the list. And so you can work on being gentle as a man, and I'll work on being patient with you as a pastor. So let's just make that little, make that nice little trade-off, okay? So, so this is what it looks like if you've truly encountered Jesus in a real and personal way, this is what the church is supposed to look like. Keyword, supposed to. This is what the church looks like if it's living out who Christ was. It's supposed to be the antidote for everything that's wrong with the world. Not, not if we're living out the fleshly side of church, the side of church as we talked about in the first couple weeks of this series where that, that side of church that, that people used it to rule and manipulate and harm people and boost their ego as a leader and, and be in charge but the spirit side where people are getting out of the way and letting God rule and take credit for it. That's what church is supposed to be. And and so when we as the church, when we as individuals, when we act like that, when we act out of the power of the spirit in our lives, out of that interaction with Christ, it becomes like that goofy soccer-hating American who's hanging out the window of a bus at a stoplight where you almost can't help but get caught up 
in the power and the impact of Jesus and what he's doing in your life. And so if you're truly a follower of Christ, if you've truly turned over your heart and your life and you believe in him and what he's accomplished for us, if you're truly a part of the body of Christ, if you're truly a part of this ecclesia that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, if he's making a big difference in your life, then this is what you look like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A healthy orange tree produces a crop of oranges. And healthy you, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, produces spiritual fruit. These things that Paul is talking about. And yet, how many Christians, how many people, regularly exposed to this, regularly exposed to the beauty of this movement, come away seemingly unaffected with no big difference, even with an interaction with this big thing called the church. See, the church can make a very big difference in the world if these things are lived out by the people that claim to be a part of it. So what about the difference it's supposed to make in you? So some, some questions to throw at you. And the first one is this. And this is the baseline. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? No, notice the question is not, do you know Bible verses? It's not, do you go to church on Sundays? It's not, were you raised in the right denomination? It's not, did your parents take you to Sunday school or Awanas or some other church program on Wednesday nights? question is, have you heard the truth about Jesus and believed it? Have you repented of your sin? Have you experienced the soul-saving, life-changing love of Jesus? Do you know him? And it's as simple as the simple gospel that we've been talking about these five or six weeks, that it's all about Jesus. It's not about the extra things. Those things come, like these fruits of the Spirit, they come. That's an overflow of what you've already experienced. But it has to start with that relationship and knowing and believing and understanding who Jesus was and giving your life to that. That's where it starts. And if at any point, I don't know everyone here, if you have questions about this, please come find me after the service or talk to anyone on our team with a lanyard. Talk, uh, send us an email at info at fieldstonechurch.org. Uh, fill out a connection card and put it in the box at the info center. Let us know. We want to have a conversation with you. We want to flesh this out with you so you understand not only the simplicity of it, but the power of it. This first step, this first big decision to give your life to Christ. Do you know Jesus? The answer to that question affects everything else after that. Second question is this. Are you living the big difference? If you know Christ, if you've experienced that, if, that power, if you've experienced that relationship, are you living the big difference? Paul goes on um, in chapter 6 of Galatians, um, chapter 6, verse 3. He says, If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. 
And then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So test yourself. Look at your life. Step back. So, so, I mean, I can throw preaching at you every week. You can get in a small group and have conversations and be sharpened and challenged, and you can read your Bible. But at some point, from time to time, you need to step back and say, all right, who am I not compared with my spouse, not compared with my friend at work, not compared with the other people at church? Who am I in comparison with what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Who am I compared to these fruits? What kind of fruit are you bearing? If you're an apple tree and you got pears coming out, you might want to get that checked out. And if you're a believer and you look at this list of things and you say, love, am I loving? Joy, is my life full of joy? Peace, do I have peace in my life? Do I have a sense of peace going throughout each day? Patience, am I patient? Am I kind? Do I have self-control? Uh oh. These fruits that we're supposed to be bearing, what does your life look like compared to those? Because that's a, that's a huge test. If you're a believer, if you claim to be a Christ follower, if you're a part of the ecclesia, Paul says you've got to test yourself every once in a while, evaluate yourself against the standard. If this is what I'm supposed to look like, how do I look? So here's my challenge to you. Over the next week or so, there's nine of these things. If I counted correctly, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Yeah, nine of them. I want you to take the next nine days, and I want you to think and evaluate and pray through one fruit a day. Okay? So if you are involved in some type of Bible study or you do a daily devotional or something like that, I want you to add it to it. If you're not doing anything currently, this might be a good place to start. I want you to go through one a day, and you can find it in Galatians chapter 5, Okay? Write that down if you need to. Send yourself an email. Make an Evernote, whatever thing you use to remember things. One fruit a day. And so whether it's today or tomorrow, you start with love. How am I with love? Do I look like love? Am I this fruit? Why am I this fruit? Why am I not this fruit? What's influencing my strength in this area? What's making me weak in this area? What do I need to add to improve in this? What do I need to take away? Who, who do I need to add to my life? Who do I need to take away from my life? in order to experience this fruit more fully in my life. Second day, joy. How, I'm, how, I'm, how am I with joy? And go through each one, one a day, and evaluate. And see where you're at. Not because, it's a, not because this faith is about living right and following the rules and looking the right way and talking the right way. Not because of those things, but because this can be a true test of if the Spirit lives in me, then I should be living the way the Spirit would live. And this is the fruit of that life. And it's the fruit of our relationship with Jesus that will ultimately draw others to Jesus. And Brian and Mary are going to come. We're going to close with a couple songs. And, and uh, you know, some weeks we sing songs that are just kind of really, like songs that are kind of on our heart and, and uh, would have good impact. And a week like this week, we tried to pick the songs that would fit this idea of living what we're supposed to live in Christ, experiencing what we're supposed to experience in Christ. And so as we sing these last two, I'm going to close in prayer uh, before we get there. Um, But take some time during this first one. Um, Certainly stand and sing if you'd like to or sing along in your chair, but really ponder the words because the key phrase is, so will I. Because whether it's areas of creation, 
or the angels or the people we see around us or simply some of the sacrifices and decisions that Jesus made on our behalf, those are, those are really people and things and creation living out the fruits of the Spirit, living out the worship of our Savior and our Creator. And this song is an opportunity for us to say, man, if the trees are doing it the way they've create, been created to do it, and if some of the people around me are doing it the way they've been created to do it, and if the angels are doing it the way they've been created to do it, and if Jesus sacrificed and served and lived these out the way he was sent to do it, then you know what? So will I. Let's pray and then let's sing. God, we love you. And as we ponder this truth and ponder um, the scripture this morning, God, thank you for the simplicity of this gospel, that it's not about how we live. It's not about following rules. It's not about measuring up. Because, God, we acknowledge this morning that we can't measure up. So, God, as we seek you, as we welcome you into our lives and turn our hearts and minds over to you, pray that you would challenge us, convict us that, God, I, I, I believe each one of us, there's probably a couple of these things sticking out in our mind as things that we need to work on, things that we're not living in the way that you would have us live. And so, Father, as we thank you for our salvation, as we thank you for what you've done in our hearts and our lives, I pray that then, as an overflow of that, you would help us to live according to the Spirit and that our lives would show the fruit of you and that others, others would see it and they would want it.